Hi, I'm Deirdre Veldon and this is Confronting Coronavirus, a podcast on the COVID-19 outbreak. The Irish Prison Service has become an example of best practice on how to keep coronavirus out of prison settings. There are over 3,700 prisoners nationwide and so far not one has tested positive for COVID-19. So successful has it been in keeping the virus out, the Irish Prison Service has submitted a paper to the World Health Organization on its approach to the pandemic. Strict measures were put in place from the outset, visitors were banned, and movement within the prison was scaled back. If you're displaying symptoms of COVID-19 in the prison, you're on 24-hour lockup, basically. Uh, You don't even get your, your hour or two hours exercise. One of the main problems is not all the cells have showers. In fact, very few have showers. So there's actually prisoners in there who haven't had a shower for two weeks. In this episode, I speak to Irish Times crime correspondent Conor Gallagher about the fast action and careful planning taken by the prison service and the sacrifices made by detainees who appear to have understood the message about COVID-19 very well indeed. There's been a remarkable amount of buy-in from the prisoners because they're a particularly vulnerable cohort themselves. They're just as worried as the prison service. We also hear about the overall impact the pandemic has had on levels of crime across Ireland. And we'll be talking about how the Irish court system has been operating and what its plans are to get back up and running in the next few months. Connor, there were a lot of worries when the pandemic hit that it would soon run rampant through the prison system. But that didn't happen. Why? Well, there's a few, I think, thing, things at, at play. It's it's a remarkable achievement from the prison service. And they're actually one of the few prison services in, in the Western world to actually keep the, the prisons COVID-free um, in the UK and in America and lots of other countries. They've been having uh, serious mortality rates and, and infection rates in, in their prisons. So... Um, one of the things that they benefited from was last year they set up uh, infection control groups. So Irish prisons have always had a problem with tuberculosis, uh, in- including some very serious outbreaks in recent years. Uh, so to kind of try and get ahead of this, they set up these infection control groups and all these procedures and um, practices that were to be instituted if uh, an infection of any type uh, broke out. And so by an unhappy coincidence, COVID-19 came in uh, February and March and they were kind of ready to hit the ground running with a lot of these things and they stopped they stopped visits very quickly they took a number of like quite extreme measures very quickly so visits were stopped completely they were replaced with uh, video uh, basically zoom calls and and the like there was a good few technical problems with that I believe they've been mostly ironed out um, anyone coming in or out had to be temperature checked uh, Basic movement within the prison was severely limited. So you saw like workshops and any type of educational stuff being uh, been pretty much uh, gotten rid of. Uh, prison officers were only allowed to stay in one section of the prison, um, that sort of thing. So the end result is we've had a, a good few um, infections of prison officers who presumably got infected in the community or from their colleagues but remarkably that infection hasn't spread into the into the prison population as of yet um they also took some other measures like uh, clover hill prison was designated as kind of the uh the the isolation uh unit for the entire prison service um so anyone who was displaying symptoms or who was waiting on a test would go into clover hill and they were actually facing 
very strict measures. Um, I'm talking about if you're displaying symptoms of COVID-19 in the prison, uh, you're on 24-hour lockup, basically. Uh, you don't even get your, your hour or two hours exercise, which, you know, not even the most high security or most violent prisoners, they would they would get that amount of exercise. So they had, um, prisoners had to make a lot of sacrifices by way of kind of compensation or to alleviate some of the boredom they extended the amount of television channels they had in their cells um but one of the main problems is not all the cells have showers in fact very few have showers so there's actually prisoners in there who haven't had a shower for two weeks as well even though they're they are given like washcloths and, and that sort of thing so there was a huge amount of sacrifice i think there was a lot of proactive measures taken um and it seems like they might have got it through the worst of it but the problem is with a prison environment you get one person in there infected. If the measures are eased, it can spread right through the system. And prisoners are, as a group, tend to be far more uh, compromised or, or, or vulnerable to COVID-19. That's that's worldwide. That's just in relation to, you know, a history of drug abuse or or um, associated factors. So it, it, it tends to have a far bigger mortality rate than it would in the general population. Sure. And I, I'm sure there was a lot of anxiety uh, among prisoners about that. Um, but but the achievement is all the more remarkable uh, when you consider how overcrowded many uh, of the Irish prisons are, isn't it? That's right, yeah. Um, certainly at the start of the year, um, the prison population fallen below that kind of notional threshold of 4,000, having cracked over 4,000 a few times during the year. You know, prison population has been going up in recent years after a good few years of, of falling numbers. So, uh, while some prisons were comfortably under the 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 capacity, others like the the Doka Centre and Limic Women's Prison were 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 very much over capacity, and there was people sleeping on floors, on mattresses and floors, and and, and that sort of thing. So they what they also did at, at a quite early stage, in you know around mid March, this process started, was to figure out which prisoners could be released on temporary release. So what they did was they targeted the uh people who have committed relatively minor crimes people who were near the end of their sentences um and and um, and people who had that you know gone some way towards rehabilitation and they essentially released 500 of them back into the community um on very short notice and that brought the prison population way down and i think we're about 85% now capacity across the whole prison estate which is the lowest it's been in many months um, and that's because of this. Now, a couple of them have gone back in. The last data I have is, I think, from mid-May, which shows that eight of them have gone back in, having committed further offences, um, which is not a huge number, um, if you think about it. And I actually would have expected that number to be higher. It is undoubtedly higher now, but I don't think it's dramatically so. And Connor, did the prison authorities have to deal with any unrest as a result of the compromises prisoners had to make? That's an interesting one. So what the prison officers and what the prison service themselves would tell you is there's been a remarkable amount of buy-in from the prisoners because, as I said, they're a a particularly vulnerable cohort themselves. They're just as worried as the prison service. That's not to say there hasn't been tension. There there definitely has been, um, and that's been exacerbated by the fact that it's become almost impossible to smuggle drugs into the prison because a huge amount of drugs are smuggled in through visits. That means that the, 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 that has increased uh, various types of tension uh, on the landings. And there was an incident last month involving uh, five 
quite serious criminals. Uh, most of them associated with the with 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 the Kinahan crime uh, group, and they had tried to foment trouble in Mount Joy. They tried to get the the prisoners out in the exercise yard to refuse to come back in, and they also tried to get the prisoners working in the kitchen to go on a, a kind of a strike. Uh, the, the the plan appears to have failed when prison officers got wind of it. They all kind of suited up in their riot control gear and the prisoners basically complied with the order and the prisoners in the kitchen also declined to go on strike. Um, prison service then transferred those five guys to uh, kind of scattered them across the prison estate so to dilute their, their influence. So there was kind of a failed... Probably coup is too strong a word, but a failed attempt to kind of uh, fight back against these uh, restrictions. Um, aside from that, there hasn't been too much, no. Uh, Connor, what has been the overall impact of uh, the pandemic on levels of crime? As expected, lots of um, categories of crime have decreased and some of them have decreased very dramatically. Uh, I think thefts against the persons, so that would be your muggings, are down something like 60%. Um, minor assaults have dropped 30 percent uh things like public order and drunkenness in a public place they're all down significantly that's obviously associated with the closure of uh pubs and and the entire kind of night economy um a similar increase in uh, things like assaults threats harassment that sort of thing um and obviously other forms of theft like shoplifting is down 39 percent um car theft 43% but then I think what's even more interesting is what hasn't fallen um, so if you look at car theft that's down 43% but bicycle theft is only down 9% um, and I imagine there's some interesting uh, research to be done on why one is down and, and one isn't um, there's been like 510 car thefts since mid-March and 1,100 bicycle thefts, uh, according to Gardaí. We've also seen a huge drop in uh, sexual offending, 38%. Um, but obviously the caveat there is so much sexual offending goes on behind closed doors that that doesn't necessarily reflect a drop in offending. It might reflect a drop in reporting. Uh, fraud offences are down 21%, but online fraud, and these are things like phishing, um, where, where someone tries to get your credit card number by pretending to be someone else, those are way up. That's reflected in the fact, I suppose, that people are spending so much more time online uh, for work and for pleasure. There's also been, uh, and, and we've probably heard about this, a 25% increase in reports of domestic violence and a 10% increase in, in, in violations of barring orders. That had not that wasn't unexpected, but uh, they're obviously very worrying numbers. The the, the Guardi and the Department of Justice and Fairness to them, when these restrictions were were put in place, had said, you know, this will put more pressure on people who are who are at risk of domestic violence, and uh, they they did put in several initiatives to kind of help them, including Guardi kind of checking them up on them. Uh, more than usual and there's also been a huge increase in attacks on Gardaí or obstructing uh, the work of a Garda now obviously that's mostly down to the fact that Gardaí are having so many more interactions with the public they've had about a million individual interactions with the public uh, as part of the COVID-19 policing and uh, you know obviously a, a very small percentage of them have resulted in some sort of violence or, or, or threats or, or aggravation um, to the extent that there's been 93 incidents of spitting or coughing attacks against Gardaí 
where they've used had to use these spit hoods. These are these new things they introduced. Quite controversial devices uh, that you place over a suspect's head so they can't spit or cough at anyone. Uh, they've been used 70 times, uh, including three times on people under the age of, of 18. And of course, the wheels of justice uh, have to, to keep on turning to deal with all of that crime that still does exist. And the courts have been, the criminal courts have been trying to carry out their, their business remotely and in other ways. What kind of challenges has that presented? So massive challenges, obviously. And we basically saw an almost complete shutdown of the courts during the height of the pandemic. Things are starting to slowly open up now. Now, what we did have was uh, a good chunk of high court remained open and other courts that were able to hold hearings socially distanced or remotely were able to remain open, such as the Court of Appeal or the Supreme Court. And these are these are the court cases where you don't have to have witnesses or at least you don't have to have too many witnesses or you don't have to have a jury where you can do your arguments a huge amount of your arguments can be done through paper or electronic means so the courts move the courts have been talking about moving towards remote hearings for certain cases for years now but the um, ICT system just wasn't up to it but this is obviously you know crisis being the mother of invention uh, this has accelerated things vastly so we've had well over 200 remote hearings now since the start of the, the pandemic and those are mainly high court hearings Although some fam like district court, family court hearings as well, and a few court of appeal hearings, and this is exactly uh, as you'd imagine. It's everyone appearing on on a Zoom call uh, from their office or from their living room or, or 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 the law library maybe, and presenting their arguments to a judge who you can see on the screen. Um, it seems to have gone relatively. Uh, without major problems uh at the start obviously there was technical difficulties um i you know just from talking to people there's been the usual kind of things that would interrupt zoom calls like pets and dogs coming in in the middle of a court case um there has been some worry expressed um it's not necessarily borne out yet but some worry expressed the family court hearings are so sensitive or they can be incredibly sensitive you can have very vulnerable people people may be open to coercion or intimidation by another party and maybe the idea of having a remote hearing where someone is giving evidence from their own home might put them at a bit more risk uh i think for that reason they've pretty much limited themselves to very uncontested family law cases so that's like things where where everyone agrees like you have to up the maintenance by 20 euro and the other person agrees and they don't anticipate a big argument about it um we have had increased use of also uh, video calls, uh, appearances of, of prisoners uh, in custody for bail hearings. They will appear via video link from the prison, so they don't have to be transported uh, from uh, from the prison. That goes back to what we were talking about the prison service before and about how they've managed to keep it COVID-free. That's one of the main reasons. Prisoners aren't going back and forth from court, which would be a major vector for the disease. Um it hasn't gone. Uh, there's been a few kind of worrying aspects, I suppose. Um, there's a ongoing criminal trial on at the minute, um, where a woman was given evidence via video link from New York. She would obviously normally give that from a courtroom in New York, but she had to give it from her home. And during the evidence, and it was a very serious trial. Very, uh, it was a murder trial, and the uh, uh, off screen, a man was basically 
telling her she shouldn't be given evidence and this was in front of a jury so that's obviously quite worrying and maybe a lesson in the dangers of of of, of this type of technology when it's not properly supervised but uh overall yeah huge amount of innovation has been shown and they've managed to kind of keep the show on the road yeah even though there, it, there has been a huge amount of other cases being delayed because of covid and of course, a lot of what happens in court and a court setting depends on maintaining respect for the court and, and whether that can happen to the same extent in this context with with the types of inappropriate interventions that, that you've talked about uh, remains to be seen. Do you think it has a, a future beyond the pandemic? Absolutely. Um, I think certain types of cases it'll never be appropriate for. So jury trials having a jury in a remote location where they can't see the accused and they can't see the parties. Um, I don't think that's ever going to be a runner. And I'd say most barristers and judges and solicitors wouldn't be in favour of that. Um, but for things like high court cases, for anything that can be done through mainly through uh, electronic and paper arguments, there's often no need for a for a for for a for, for a physical hearing. Now, sometimes a physical hearing makes sense because everyone will be in the building anyway, because that's where um, a lot of them work all day. But for other types of cases, especially involving people who don't often come to court, there's no reason. And especially for family court, if they can figure out a way to make it secure um, and and make it maybe a bit safer, I think that could be incredibly beneficial because coming to court is a very traumatic experience for some people especially if there's children involved um so that could be a, a huge a huge benefit that they could see from this another thing that that occurred to me and i was talking to a family law solicitor about it the other day was the idea of when a when a when a person wants to get a barring order an interim barring order against an abusive uh partner or 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 a family member or anyone they have to come into court and this could be at a nine o'clock on a Saturday night and see the emergency judge, if you can actually, and it's been interim bar in order where the other side wouldn't be represented and it would only be for a, a few days before you can get an actual proper bar in order. But if you could do that from a guard station as in dial into a judge and get the bar in order there and then, you can get it in like half an hour without having to go all the way into Dolphin House. I mean, that would be hugely beneficial. So I think all of that has been considered, but it's going to be a vastly different picture this time next year for example the courts are going to look a lot different because of this i think even if covid is has been bought under control by then connor thanks very much my thanks to suzanne brennan who produced today's podcast and thanks for listening stay up to date with the latest developments at irishtimes.com we'll be back later in the week 